What's up, church? How's it going? Good. My name is Daniel, and uh, this is my second time preaching up here for you all, so I'm pretty excited about that, to be up here again. So glad that they let me back up here. That means I might have done all right last time, so that's good news. But I love that version of that song, Jesus Will, Jesus Will Fix It. That was very, you know, soulful, jazzy. I liked it. When I was a little kid, you know, I grew up in this church out here in, uh, in Rockland County. And, uh, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't really know the words to songs, but you don't care. You just want to sing it to the top of your lungs. So I'm sitting there, and I thought that the words were, my Jesus, my little fiddlestick. But I would sing that to the top of my lungs, praising God, but my little fiddlestick, and everybody would smile. I don't know why they were laughing at me, but I was having a good time. Uh, but, yes, it's a good story. I've got many more. Now, <laughs> today, you know, it's really great to be able to steady out the book of Daniel here all together as a church. Uh, and it's pretty cool for me, because that's my namesake, right? That's who I was named after. So it was kind of... Uh, intimidating, but cool all at the same time. Like, well, okay, it's my namesake I need to, you know, represent here. And, uh, but it always made me laugh because Daniel in the Bible is a man of great courage. I mean, he goes into the lion's den and he's just a courageous guy. And I'm named after him and I turned into, out to be such a scaredy cat. And I always thought, like, God made me a scaredy cat because I was named Daniel and I needed to learn courage. So I tried to learn courage and all that. I think I've done all right, but, you know, I am terrified of the dark. I don't know what's out there. I'm terrified of the ocean. It scares the tar out of me. There, I, we, we pretend like nothing's in there when we're swimming, but there's something in there. I know it. And, you know, you won't ever care, catch me watching a scary movie, ever. I don't want to pay to not sleep for the next week, you know. So it's just not going to happen. But Daniel has always been an upward call to me. Uh, so it's been really cool to, to study out this book. And speaking about being scared, a little bit nervous, today I'm going to try and preach a little bit different than I'm used to. I'm used to writing everything out word for word and having like 15, you know, pages up here. Today, I'm going to try and stay off the notes a little bit and go more off the thoughts that I have written down. So that's a little bit scary, but it's cool at the same time. So again, I do well with the oohs and the ahs. So if I say something you like, let me know. If I say something you don't, you could just, then you could be quiet and, that, and that's cool. Um, now, you know, John last time, he, uh, he preached about Daniel chapter 1. And, uh, and how Israel is under Babylon's rule now, right? And we have Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're taken captive. And, uh, you know, they're put into the strict training to become wise men um, over uh, for the king. And they're really kind of trying to be forced to do some things that they're not okay with doing. And so they stand strong in their convictions. It's really cool to reach the, uh, read those stories because God blesses them in the end for standing stronger, firm to their convictions. Uh, but John preached about how God is in control in any and every situation and how Daniel is just such a great example of standing firm in your convictions and then responding uh, with your convictions and letting people know that this is what you're all about. And then he ended with the climax of the 10-day challenge, right? And how he challenged us all to just take a piece of our character or something that's holding us back spiritually and to just tackle it for the next 10 days with God praying about it. So last week was awesome. 
And, uh, and I'm here to continue on to Daniel chapter 2. And uh, if you want, you can go ahead and turn over there to Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to be camping out in, uh, in this chapter for this morning. But the title of my lesson this morning is, It Happens. Okay? You know that saying, like, yeah, it happens. We're going to talk about that today. Now, starting in verse 1 of uh, Daniel chapter 2 here, it says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. So we're not going to read the whole chapter together, but I am going to reference each verse as we kind of walk along through this. But right here, it's important to read this because this is this is basically the basis of the entire conflict of this chapter here. This dream that the king has. You know, dreams can be pretty disturbing. I'm sure we've all had that dream of that just it kept us up or maybe it's like a recurring dream. It just it messes up with our heads a little bit. We get a little freaked out. I know when I was a little kid, the reason I'm afraid of the ocean is because I had a dream that the entire world flooded up until outer space. And so you were either underwater, drowning, or in space, suffocating out there. As a little kid, scared the tar out of me. And I've been afraid of water ever since. Dreams have a big impact on us, right? Now, dreams back in these times were believed to be messages from the gods. And so it takes it to the next level to be disturbed by a dream, but then to be disturbed in a way that, whoa, that means something, something is going to happen from this. So the king is having this disturbing dream here, and he's all the more disturbed knowing that this dream has a message from God, but he's not able to understand what it means. And so he calls on the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, all these people to come and explain this dream to him. And these are what we know as the wise men in the book here. And these really were some wise men. You know, the Babylonian astrologers specifically were, and still are, world-renowned. Uh, you know, back then, without the technology that we have today or any of that, they were able to calculate the length of the year, and they were only 30 minutes off. 26 minutes to be exact, which is incredibly impressive when you think that they, I mean, the printing press hasn't been invented. They don't have really anything to go off of, but they were to figure out, or they were able to figure out almost the entire length of a year within a half hour, which is pretty amazing. So he calls these people in. They really are wise people. And, uh, and basically in first four, they present themselves to him as ones that can interpret this dream. But the condition for them was, First king, tell us the dream so that we can interpret it. Now that doesn't seem like such an unreasonable request, right? If you need to, if you want to interpret a dream or, you know, you got to tell me, it's kind of like D time. I can't help you unless you tell me what's going on, right? Same kind of, same kind of thing here. But now the king doesn't quite like that they're making this condition. He doesn't quite trust them because the truth is what the wise men would do is they would take the dream and they would analyze it. And they would a- analyze the different uh, characters in the dream and the different circumstances. And they would look at it piece by piece. And then they had this book. And they would go back to their book and they would say, okay, well, the moon represents this. Flooding represents this. Or whatever it is. And they would look it up. And that's how they would interpret the dream. Now, I don't know who wrote this book, but they really believed this, that this is the interpretation of dreams. But the king wasn't so easily persuaded by this request. If you read in verse 5 and 6, you see, the wise men 
what they would often do is they would use this wisdom, right, that they get from these books to gain political power. And so they would gain control over kings by kind of using their wisdom against them as if, if you want to know, then give us this, this, and this. And so the king, knowing this, he starts to get a little bit frustrated and he wants a true interpretation of his dream. So he sets a new condition of his own. Okay? So the wise men now, they didn't just have to interpret the dream. They had to basically read his mind and tell him what he dreamed and then interpret it. So now they're trapped, right? Because this is where the trouble really begins. This isn't what they're trained for. They have books that explain dreams, but they can't read someone's mind. And in verses 7 through 9, they ask the king one more time to please tell us the dream, sir. Tell us the dream and we will interpret it for you. But this angered the king so much because he thinks he thinks he's getting hustled by them. He's like, no, if you are really in touch with the gods, then you'll be able to just know what my dream is. They'll have talked to you about this. But let's see what happens in verse 10. Is this thing working? Boom, there it is. In verse 10, it says, the astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to go look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. My first point this morning is trouble happens. Okay, not the most inspiring point, I know. But my first point to set it up for the rest, trouble happens. This chunk of the scripture represents a universal truth that we know all too well. Whether we like it or not, trouble happens. Trouble comes our way. You see, this story started out with a dream. A simple dream. But the king couldn't understand it. The wise men couldn't interpret it. And now it's escalated all the way to people have to die now. That escalated very quickly. And we know this to extend over to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their lives are on the line now. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he brought some serious trouble here. And now Daniel's life is on the line. The king asked the impossible... He asked these men to do what only a God can do. No human can do this. Now, it's cool being on the other side of the story because we know someone or something that can do this, right? Luckily, as we see later on, there are a few men out there that weren't simply human. They had the help of a real God, an actual God, a God more powerful than any in Babylon or anywhere else on their side. You know... It's kind of funny to think about the situation because I'm sure that we can actually relate to this quite often. You know, have you ever been in a situation where your boss asks the impossible of you? Maybe it's a situation, a task that you're just like, how can I, or maybe a doubt, a deadline. How am I supposed to get this done in time, right? We've been in these situations and the stress that that causes, the fear that's there. Our jobs might be on the line. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like your teacher has asked the impossible? 
right? You're sitting there in college and this teacher is telling you to do a 20 page paper by tomorrow. And you're like, don't they understand I have four other classes too, not just this one. I mean, we are putting the situations where the impossible seems to be asked of us. We could be doing all the right things and trouble is still going to happen to us. You could be minding your own business and trouble is still going to happen to us. Life is often out of our control. You know, the other day, uh, you might have noticed that last week, uh, Corinne and I, my wife, we were at church. Now, we didn't ditch or anything. We love coming to church. This is awesome. What happened was, as most of you know, what happened Saturday night was the Chelsea bombing. And so Corinne and I were on a date with Josh and his girlfriend, Andrea, and uh, we're walking around and Corinne is... She's like a superhero. I'm telling you, she is the most observant person. And I'm always, honestly, I'm always making fun of her for it. She's always like, what's that? What is that? And she'll get really suspicious about it. I'm like, Corinne, it's New York. Weird stuff happens here. It's all good. We've already seen so much in our couple months. But she pointed out this phone that was it was like an old Nokia phone, flat little cheap thing from the 2000s, you know. And it was duct taped to... This post right here, this this bus schedule, duct taped on top. So she recognized that. It was a little weird, definitely out of place, but, you know, it's New York. Weird stuff. We walked right past it, whatever. Now, Sunday morning, we go on our phones because we want to read the update. Okay, what happened over the night with the Chelsea bombing, right? I'm sure we were all doing that. And we look at it, and we see that a second device was found with the cell phone attached to it. And so then it kind of dawned on us. You know, Corinne comes back, and she's like, we saw a cell phone duct taped to that thing last night. It wasn't too far from the explosion. And at first it was like, whoa. And they were like, whoa. (laughs) You're right. That's true. And so we call the cops because they have no leads at this point, right? They they didn't know anything at this point. It's the morning of. We call them. I'm like, you know, hey, uh, officer, we saw something weird last night. We don't know. I don't even know if I'm calling. Do I call 911 a hotline? What's the protocol here? And basically, they're like, well, what did you see? We saw. We told them what we saw, the cell phone and everything. They're like, okay, we're going to go send cops to talk to you right now. And I told her, okay, well, can they hurry up because we have to go to church? (laughs) And... And she was like, yes, we'll put a rush on it. I was like, thank you. (laughs) So they get here and they drive up and they're supposed to come to our apartment door, right? And so I'm waiting there and they get a call. "Uh, Sir, we need you to come down here to to outside your apartment and meet with us out here. I'm like, okay. So I put on my shoes and everything, you know, getting ready for church and have to go do this. So they go outside and they're kind of grilling us for a second. You know, they're trying to be friendly, but they're being really suspicious and looking at us. And so we tell them what we saw in all this. And basically the good news was that they believed us and that, you know, because you take a risk there with being we were also kind of the only people that said anything. We could have been their first suspects, but they believed us. And so like any good cop, they threw us in the back of the cop car and took us down to the station. And so we're sitting there and there's a bunch of police officers and it was, I, it was one of the few times, I mean, not one of the few times, well, when I'm put in a situation like this and realizing I don't need to feel nervous. I'm a disciple. This is awesome. Now, back before I was a disciple, I would have been kind of freaked out to be sitting there with all those cops, but I'm a disciple now. I'm feeling pretty good. I felt really free to be in this room. I was like, this is awesome. Now, we get there and we tell them the story and basically they go and send the cops over to this point and they're like, we found the duct tape and the sergeant's like, tape it off, it's a crime scene. And now it got serious. And we're like, whoa. So, sir, sir ma'am, we need you to just wait here a little bit longer. The homicide detectives are going to come and talk to you. Oh, man. Okay. 
So the homicide detectives come. They talk to us. They take us into the room with the two-way mirror and basically get our stories. They take us over. They're like, okay, we need to take you to the spot. So we go with them, and they're doing their detective thing, looking all over. They're talking to all the houses. Now, this spot was conveniently, every camera in the area was conveniently pointing in the opposite direction. So I got really, really suspicious very quickly. Now, I asked them, I was like, you know, this might be the movies, but can't you just, you know, take the duct tape and run for prints, and we can go to church. Uh, He's like, yeah, that's probably what we're going to do. But... It ended up taking us about four hours overall for this entire ordeal uh, to go out there and, and help the cops with this. Now, my point here with this story is life is often out of our control. We didn't, I mean, clearly we didn't choose to uh, have a bomb go off in our city, right? And we definitely didn't want that to take four hours of trying to help them. But life is often out of our control. Sometimes we face employment situations. It's going through a tailspin. Sometimes we face violence in our nation, like in our city the other day. Sometimes we face racism in our nation or sexism. People being judged by the way that God created them. It's ridiculous. Sometimes we're, we're being persecuted by friends. Sometimes we're persecuted by family, which is a lot more painful. Sometimes our own health can get out of control. Trouble happens, right? And that's why it's so important to remind ourselves of the scriptures like these in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're not just some people. We're not simply like the wise men in this story. We are God's people. We have a God greater than every problem we could possibly face on our side. And this is what we see continuing on in this story. When trouble happens, God happens too. And that's my second point and the real point here. God happens. You see, in verses 14 through 16, Daniel is able to buy time from the king to petition God for the wisdom to interpret the dream. Uh, Let's keep reading in verse 17 through 19 here. Let's keep moving. Daniel has gotten permission. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Here... We see another layer of Daniel's conviction, like John talked about last week. You know, Daniel sees trouble, but he believes in God. And he immediately goes to the king to ask for time, and he prays and petitions with his friends to pray as well. You see, Daniel, he knew that prayer is much more effective than panic. Panic confirms our hopelessness. Prayer confirms our hope in God. When trouble comes our way, we got to pray sometimes, right? That's what we just sang about. Do we truly, sincerely, in a real way, give our greatest troubles to God? Do we really petition, hand over these troubles to God, or do we carry them? And do we let other people in to help us, to pray with us, to petition with us as well, like Daniel did? You know, Daniel got his heart right. He grabbed his friends, and they prayed. And then God happened. 
God revealed the mystery of the dream to Daniel and to his friends. The prayer was answered. Answered, excuse me. Trouble happens, but God happens too. In verses 20 through 23, Daniel thanks God for answering his prayer. And you don't have to read this, but just a couple things to point out. He thanks him for his wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. Everything is his control. Kings, he's the giver of wisdom and of knowledge. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows everything. He's praising God. Thank you, God, for answering this dream here. Thank you. You have made known to me what we asked of you. Now, I love this. Because Daniel just takes the time to praise God and thank him in the midst of all this trouble. The king didn't know he knew the dream yet, right? So the execution is still like imminent and still about to happen. But he takes the time to thank God. You know, this is so cool because it shows that God answers prayers. Did you hear that, church? God answers prayers. Too often we're waiting for the prayer not to be answered. God answers prayers. It's all over the Bible. He does. He really does. God's in control of everything that happens. You know, he's the one that can give us the wisdom, the power, the whatever we need to equip us for the trouble. He really does answer prayers. How grateful are we for that? You see, when Daniel learned the message of the dream... I think most people would have run straight off to tell the king so he wouldn't kill them. I think it would have been like, yes, and then sprinted over the king like, I got it, I got it, freaking out. Guys, guys, come on, we got it, we know it. So we cannot die. But he pauses before he does anything, and he thanks God in that moment. Thank you for answering our prayer happens. When trouble trouble happens, we're so quick to pray, right? We're like, oh my gosh, God, please help me with this. But when God happens and the help does come, are we just as quick and eager to thank him as we were to ask him for help? We need to give credit where credit's due. We need to be thankful when what we just petitioned God for, when he says yes, when he answers it. Yet again, Daniel sets a great example for us in his conviction. You know, Daniel's known as a man of prayer. You know, the other day... Um, we were on the subway, my wife and I and Tiffany, and, uh, we were coming back from midweek and I didn't know this, but I mean, I'm, after I've told the story, a couple of people are saying you don't stand next to those doors or you don't sit next to those doors. Well, uh, we didn't know that. And so we sat right there and I'm right next to the door all the way on the edge, closest to the door. Right? And I'm sitting there. It had just rained. I don't know if you remembered it. Like, it was a monsoon at that midweek. Just crazy. It's two weeks ago. And uh, so I'm sitting there with my umbrella. Right? And we're sitting there. And I have the umbrella out. Just kind of sitting there. And then the door flies open. We don't see anybody. And I look up. And there's this homeless woman. And she is staring at me. I don't think I've ever been stared at that like in my life. I mean, it was pretty intense there. So I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. And I pull up my umbrella and prepare for her to walk past. And as she's walking past, she walks past kindly and then goes, boom, on my foot. And stomps on my foot as hard as she possibly can. And then she turns around and she's looking at me. And she just starts yelling and she kicks my umbrella. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? 
what is happening? And she's just yelling at me. She's like, I should spit on you. I'm going to spit on you. You want rabies? And I mean, this poor woman is clearly mentally ill. And she's just screaming at me. And I'm trying to be calm. I'm like, no, ma'am, I don't, I don't want you to spit on me. Please, please don't spit on me. Um, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good. That's not a nice thing to do, ma'am. And I mean, you know, she's clearly very far gone. There wasn't a whole lot of reasoning I can do. And so in my head, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, please don't let her spit on me. That would be disgusting. God, this New York is crazy. She's yelling at me and my wife is trying to help, you know, she's being her superhero self again. And I'm not knowing what to do, but trouble happened. It just fell into my lap. I wasn't looking for that. It tr- trouble found me in that moment. You know what I'm saying? But God happened too. She didn't spit on me. That's an answered prayer. I mean, she was like, she was getting her lips ready. She got in stand. She's like, she's literally going like that. And I'm just like, this is going to happen for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to say, yes, I've been spit on by a homeless woman. But God happened. She didn't spit on me. Talk about an answered prayer. You know, my wife and I were uh, clearly getting to experience the city very quickly here in a few different ways, as you can probably see from these couple of illustrations. But trouble may happen, but God happens too. Okay, let's give our troubles to him and watch what he does. You know, in verses 24 through 26, after Daniel praises God, he runs over to the king and he tells him, that he's able to tell him what the dream is and interpret it as well. But he says something very specific about how he came by the ability to do this. You know, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God, a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. And Daniel is saying, you, king, have started some serious trouble, giving a task to a bunch of humans that humans are incapable of doing. Now, you had a dream and you couldn't understand it. And your wisest men could not interpret it because they received no help from your fake gods who are powerless to help them. But I, I serve a God, a real God, the God of heaven. And what is impossible for man is more than possible for him. This is the God that you and I get to serve, that we get to have a relationship with. When trouble happens, God happens too. So take heart and let's give our troubles to him in a sincere way. Amen? I've got one more point for us, and that is the kingdom happens. Last one here. My last point, kingdom happens, as we talk about the meaning that the dream had. You know, trouble happens... God happens, and ultimately, the kingdom happens as well. And that's the exciting part. In verse 29, Daniel states the king's dream. It was not just a dream, but a vision of what was to come in the future. And God wanted him to know this. Let's go ahead and read uh, what this dream was in the moment we've all been waiting for. The famous dream that's causing all this trouble. Boom, there we go. So, I'm going to read it all out. It's uh, too large to fit here. But it says, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, 
its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that stuck, struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream that caused all of this trouble. So in this dream, you see this enormous statue. It's beautiful. It's made out of four different types of materials. You have gold on the top and silver and bronze and iron. And it's just this glorious statue that he sees. But then he sees a rock cut out of a mountain come, break down the statue, and then the wind comes and takes it all away, as if that statue had never even been there before. And the rock is what remains standing. You know, Daniel goes on to explain what's actually happening in this dream next and what it's saying about the future. He's talking very specifically about the future great kingdoms that are going to rule over the world. And each type of metal that this kingdom is made out of is supposed to uh, represent the strength, the political power of each of these different kingdoms. Now, first off, and I'll just say this briefly, was the head made out of gold. And this represented the Babylonian Empire. And then next you had the silver chest and arms, okay? And uh, this represented the Medo-Persian uh, kingdom here. And so they came and overtook Babylon, conquered Babylon in 539. So the belly and the uh, thighs of bronze were Greece and Macedonia. Under the, or under the leadership of Alexander the Great, you know, we all know him, he came in and conquered them at 330 BC. So they just keep getting toppled here. And then the legs of iron represented Rome which conquered the Greeks in 63 BC. And the last one is the feet made of clay and iron. And this represented the breakup of the Roman Empire. So what happened, the Roman Empire became divided. It had so many different nations represented. Some became very strong, some became very weak. And ultimately, that's what led to its demise there. But the main character of this dream is the rock that was cut out of the mountain. That's the exciting character. Daniel describes this in verses 44 through 45. In, those, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. There is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will be never left uh, to another, for another people to come and conquer it's going to endure forever. And that's God's kingdom. That's the kingdom that we get to be a part of. That kingdom has come, it is, and it is also coming. Yes, trouble happens. We face hard times. Yes, God happens. He's there to help. But ultimately, the kingdom happens. And that's like the period at the end of the sentence. One day this kingdom is going to wipe out all other kingdoms and we're going to go to a place where trouble doesn't happen anymore. And for the first time ever, trouble's not going to happen. It's going to be the most surreal thing because there only God happens. No trouble happens. And this fact that the kingdom came and is ultimately coming once and for all, it should change our perspectives on the troubles that happen in our lives. You know... Just indulge me here for a second. 
This is Blizzard Entertainment, and uh, I love Blizzard. If you know me, I'm huge into the video game industry and all that different stuff. Well, this is a company called Blizzard, and they are just my favorite. Now, the games that Blizzard makes at the same time have some of the uh, most intense geeks you will find in the video game world. Okay, we're talking World of Warcraft. Enough said. We're talking Diablo, StarCraft. These are like surreally geeky games. Now, for a long time, me playing these games, me being one of these geeks, I was kind of like ashamed of it, you know? People would see that I have like something with WoW in my room or something, be like, oh, you play WoW? No, I mean, yeah, no, I've played before, you know? Um, I play, you know, what's I mean, I don't have a lot of time now, so I don't play as often, but, you know, it's, it's in my past there, but. You know, I was kind of like ashamed, like, yeah, dude, you play World of Warcraft? No, no, kind of, not really. Um, but then, my wife, for a birthday present, she entered us into be able to go take a tour at their headquarters in Ir Irvine, California. Now, I got to visit this company, okay? Now, I was trying to play it a little bit cool outside. Inside, I'm like, this is Disneyland, baby. This is it. This is what it's all about. And I go, and they have this huge statue in the middle on the left. And uh, they've got, I mean, this is a life-size orc. His name is Gromash. And, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, I am like the geek of all geeks with this stuff. And he's there, and I am, I am just flipping out here. He's like asking all this trivia and I like know every answer to everything. I felt so cool in that moment. They're talking about, oh, this is the most rare mount in the game. I was like, I have it. You know, just getting all pumped about that. They're like, what? You have it? I'm like, yes, I do. But I got to visit them. They've got models. They had a museum in there. They've got a movie theater where they played all of their, their little movie clips in there. The soundboard. I'm not kidding. It was from here to like all the way over here. It was just took multiple people to do it. It was, it was the most spectacular thing. And in that moment, I went there kind of not knowing if I wanted people to know this about me, that I love these games, right? I left so proud to be a Blizzard gamer. I'm telling you, it changed everything. I was so fired up. I became one of their biggest advocates. I'm telling everybody, have you played this? It's awesome. Have you seen the new content? It's awesome. I'm up here talking about it in front of 300 people, right? I became a huge advocate for them. Why? Because I got a glimpse of the Blizzard Kingdom and how amazing it really was. This wasn't just some geeky thing. This is like the Google of the gaming industry. These people are amazing. And I became all the more proud to be a Blizzard gamer because I knew what was out there. People may make fun of this game, but these people are on top of the game industry. They are it. You know, and similarly, we have gotten a glimpse of the kingdom through its great king, Jesus, and the spirit he sent us. This should make us all the more proud to be Christians. We should never be ashamed because we know that the kingdom happens. We know what's out there. We know what's ahead. And we know we have something incredible that we're looking forward to. But what's more than that is we know we have an incredible king that rules over this unconquerable kingdom. Who came down here to give us a glimpse of what it was going to be like. You know, in Matthew 16, it says, blessed, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not. And to hear what you hear, but did not. The kingdom happens. And really, it's already happening. 
It's been set in motion by Jesus coming down to earth. How blessed we are to live in these times. You know, we can get so caught up in thinking about Moses and, wow, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask him, what, what would it have been like? What was it like, Moses, to talk to God, to see him face to face? And I think Moses is going to be like, yeah, 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 it was great. What was it like to have God living inside of you, Daniel? What was that like? I got to hear God's words once every couple months, maybe once every couple years. You had his word in your pocket. What was that like? What was it like to be able to see God living as a human and to have such a tangible example to follow? What was that like? You must have been so bold, Daniel. You must have been fearless. I mean, God was inside of you. It must have been awesome. You know, we have God living inside of us. This should change our perspective. This should change how we act. This should change what we let into our body, what we say, what we think, how we spend our time. This changes everything. Because we're living the kingdom, baby, right now. It's happening. But we know that in the end, the kingdom comes once for all. Where trouble doesn't happen, but only God happens. So let's not focus on the trouble of this life. But on the great God that we have helping us and the tools that he's given us for success as we wait for the future kingdom that's calling our name. You know, to close out here, you see in the last three verses of this chapter, and I'm just going to mention this briefly and we'll be done, everything works out in the end. You know, Daniel, uh, the king's happy. He gives Daniel a bunch of material success, a bunch of political success, and everything's really happy. And you know, a lot of churches camp out here. And they camp out on, this is, this is what it's going to be like. If you have a relationship with God, everything's going to be happy. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, happy. You know, sickness isn't going to get, God's going to give you great material success. A lot of people like to camp out on this. But the only problem with that is as we continue to read this book, we see trouble happens again. And as we read the New Testament, for all the Christians over there, we see trouble happens again and again. And then you look at the life of Jesus and you see trouble happens again to him. You know, Christians pick up their cross daily. There's no Christianity without a cross, without suffering. And this is the life we've chosen. So we can't, we can't stay in the stuck place of everything's going to be happy and awesome, but we just need to focus on trouble happens, it will continue to happen, but when trouble happens, God happens too. And we know that the kingdom happens. Where trouble won't, because only God happens. And let's remember Jesus, who embraced trouble, enduring the cross, walking with God through it all, and then reaching the same goal that we have for, to one day be taken up to heaven. Let's go ahead and pray for the communion. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning where we get to come together and worship you. Please help us to not be bogged down by the troubles of this world, but to stay focused and knowing that you came down here to help relieve us of these troubles, to save us of these troubles, and you're coming back again to end these troubles once for all. Please help us to never forget your great sacrifice on the cross for us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.